Welcome back to episode number 203 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is a podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. Today's episode, we have back Vernon Terrio, and we are doing episode three of this series on the ripple effects of Westray. So in the first episode, I sort of talked through why we're creating the series and some of the technical aspects of the coal mine explosion that happened on May 9th, 1992 in Nova Scotia, in the community of Plymouth, at the Westray Coal Mine. That was in the first episode. In the second episode, we talked through part one of Vernon's book, Westray, My Journey from Darkness to Light. And it was a pretty emotional-filled interview talking through why Vernon wrote that first book, um, the need for a, a second book that addresses the mental health challenges of those that live through industrial accidents and incidents and tragedies and catastrophes like the Westray Coal Mine Explosion. We dug deep into the challenges that come up and really Vernon's experience through this whole process that he documents in this book, how he documented it, how that was a challenge in its own right. Today's episode, we're going to talk a bit more about the last 30-year process. So we sort of ended off last week on why we're taking this project on, Vernon's experience before Westray, before the explosion, and his experience during the explosion, the rescue efforts. Now we're sort of picking that up. What does it look like after that? I mentioned last week, and we'll sort of recap this week. We have a couple goals around this. We want to share the lessons that weren't learned, share these stories out with the, the global community that listen to this podcast. We want to really start the conversation around supporting workers with post-traumatic stress from industrial fires and explosions and, and other types of accidents and incidents. We want to really promote this work that we're talking about. If you have a story to share, you can reach me at chris at dustsafetyscience.com. You can reach Vernon. We'll have his email in the show notes. This episode, dustsafetyscience.com slash 203. If you want to share a story about Westray or your own personal involvement with industrial accidents, please do that. You don't have to come on the podcast, although you can if you would like to. But you can send it through and we'll start collecting this up for this manuscript that um, we've been talking about. Vernon, thank you again for coming on. Thank you for sharing so candidly last week. And I think the the best place to jump in on today's episode is sort of picking up, okay, Westray happened. You were very involved with the rescue efforts and we talked about that last week. But what was the rehabilitation process look like? We'll probably cover both mental and physical aspects after the Westray coal mine explosion from, from your perspective. I'd like to thank you for letting me come on again to tell my story and to tell more. Yeah, the rehab, wow. It was after they called Westray off, they said no more rescue. They, they stopped it. Wow. I didn't realize that I was going to take a part of Westray home with me and stay with me for the rest of my life. But I did. Westray came home with me and it's still with me today. I found it very hard sleeping. I was hard to get along with. The kids, I was hollering. I, I was just, uh, I was more or less a piece of trash to everybody. I, I don't know if it was because I was feeling sorry for losing my co-workers or being involved with something that was a really disaster. But I had to go get help. So I went and see my family doctor. And then my doctor set me up with some counseling. But before some counseling, I did go around to some groups. They have groups in the community that you sit in and you talk about issues that you were involved with. I sit in a couple, but uh, found it wasn't really helping me. I started going to see my doctor, started talking, what I went through, what it was like, Westray, the disaster. It was just so hard. Every time I went to see him, I can look back at it now and, uh, boy, well, it took a long time. But if you don't talk and get your problems out, 
it's not going to help you. Keeping it in, it's only going to tear your heart more apart. Everybody has different stories. But my story, it's just not, I, I wasn't going to go back to work in the mine anymore. But I had a bigger problem than that, too. I had the problem, as I said in last week, why my first book I wanted to do, I couldn't read or write. So, I mean, how am I going to get trained? I can't read or write. So this is the one of the problems I had with workers' comp. And I told my counselor that I can't read or write. So what does he do for the next two years? He tries to put me in these programs that I was just blown away. I couldn't read or write. I, I didn't understand stuff. I, in the next two years, I had so much problems. I don't know how I got through it. it it's just, well, as I say, the, the family, my wife and kids, my kids were all to me the reason why I kept living, but in that two-year span, the nightmares that I was having, I almost killed my wife twice. My hands were around my wife's neck twice, and I almost killed her. The second time was close. There was no more after that. Uh, we didn't no sleep together after that because – I don't know what I would have done if I killed my wife. I had these thoughts to go through my mind of instead of fighting for a clear life, I thought the easy way out would be just suicide. Just take my life and I don't have to worry about it anymore. But uh, I didn't. It, it was so close at times. When I hear this, about people taking their lives, uh, I accept, I know exactly what route they went because uh, I was so close to going that route. It's not a good route to take. I, I don't recommend it to anybody. Get help. There, There's help there. Uh, talk to people. Write it out. If you don't want people to see what you're writing, burn it. Just get it out. Get it out on paper and... Uh, then it won't tear your heart apart. Uh, it's, uh, I'll be honest, it's goddamn hard. But there is help. And that's why I want this book out and people to help me with their stories so we can let people know that there's help for them. I can go on for non with this, Chris, but I know we only have an hour. Well, we we will go on and we will share the stories of others as well. And I want to I want to recap a couple points here that I take away from this. Everyone, and this is the same as any traumatic injury. Everyone's involvement is going to be different. Everyone's response will be different and unique to them and and a challenge to them. And I've I've shared with Vernon that we've actually had a a couple family members pass away due to suicide. One very extremely close to me. And everyone's response will be different. And the reason that that's important to remember is one, if you feel different right now and you're going through this in any way, industrial accident, personal side, whatever it is that you're listening to this podcast episode for this reason, and you, you are going through this in your life, it's okay that your response is different and it's normal that your response is different. So that's first piece. Second piece, the support and how to get through it. And you said it, the, you said it last time, it's the name of your book, you know, From Darkness to Light. You kind of use the metaphor of, of being in that mind and just complete darkness. And then you see the pinpoint of light and you keep walking. You see a little bigger light. You see a little bit, you know, at some point you're, you're outside and you see all the light. But there's still cloudy days. There's still days where things get darker and, and you know, there's still challenges. You go through those storms to kind of battle. But that darkness light metaphor, I think, applies to this journey as well. And the part I want to circle around to is the getting help for sure. I'm talking it out, writing it out burning what you're right. I think for you, from my understanding, Vernon, is that if you didn't have that first book to, to focus your energy and time on, 
that that played a key role in in your healing process to where you are today is getting that out there. Because I remember like way back when we talked maybe maybe even a year ago or nine months ago now, I said something like, are you okay talking about Westray? And you said, yes, I have to because it's how I, how I heal is to get that out to talk about it. So those three points. So one, it's, it's normal. It's different for everybody. Two, it's always going to be a journey from where you are today to where you're going tomorrow. And then three, it's about finding that thing for you that can help you wherever you're at to, to say, okay, today's a day that we can move forward. You know, something good can happen today. And for you, that was all the efforts with the lobbying, which we're going to get into a second, you know, the efforts with the book, this project of a second book that we're taking on here. Those are three things come to mind when kind of summarizing something you said there, Vernon. Anything else that comes out, like I said, we could talk for hours and we probably will on and offline. Um, anything come to, to the surface when I go through that with you? Well, yeah, it's keeping yourself busy and Keeping your mind off of thoughts that shouldn't be there is always a good part. Another thing, too, is uh, I actually started a hockey league back in it's this be our 43rd year of the hockey league. I was running the league 13 years before I started at Westray. But uh, it's something that I really kept a part of after Westray happened. And uh, in 96, I couldn't play anymore. The reason I got it going is to play, somewhere to play gentlemen's hockey. But then I realized after that, I couldn't play hockey anymore. But hey, this is keeping me busy through the winter months and keeping my mind off certain things. And it's giving me something to do. So I end up run in the league like right right up to today so uh things like that helps if, if i didn't have the hockey league and my book to do i wouldn't know where i'd be today i i just wouldn't know well and like you said after i mean the the day of the explosion you had something to do <laughs> you had to go to the mine and then somebody asked you to to volunteer and your hand shot up we talked about this last week, but other things happen. But at some point after a a tragedy like this, and I've talked with other people that have been through explosions that happen at night and see the sunrise over the devastation and, and they have something to do though. The real challenge I think comes from the moment when you don't have anything next to do. (laughs) So you're, you're done the rescue attempts and it's over. And what do you do when you have nothing to do? Here's a point. I'm going to in 2020. When COVID hit, COVID hit the world. Everything shut down. Well, I'm telling you, I like just before that COVID hit, my book came out in 2018. I got a award 2019. I was getting set up to go to more steelworkers conferences like i was going to do a tour through the states to different unions and talk about my book and uh i I was going to do a tour but then COVID hit i couldn't do the tour i was locked down so here i am i couldn't tell my story i couldn't even go outside like you're locked up in your house wow from that point on to the next year or so, we were still locked up. There, there's that point you're talking about. I end up turning to that point again. Like I was a whole different person. I, like I was back to the suicide. I had nothing to do. I was going that bad route. Like there was no hockey there. I was devastated. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of other people just not myself, but there's a lot, a lot of people out there the same way. That was a bad point. I want to kind of go back to talk about the inquiry and the criminal, like the 30 year period from Westray, but I think there's one other, one other really important topic here on this umbrella that we're talking about here of, of mental health and response to yep. trauma. And, and, and I guess it probably is worth putting a disclaimer here. I have a PhD, but it's not in anything to do with it. It's in mechanical and chemical engineering. 
I'm not a doctor um, and this is not advice and Vernon's the same. It's just sharing experiences, talk through things. If you're going through this, you really do need to talk to a professional and kind of get those helps. And hopefully this could, those, those steps to help you. Um, and hopefully this discussion can, can encourage that. But the, the, the one that I underlined in the book that I know probably applies the most to people that are listening to this and know somebody has gone through this experience is uh, you had, you've had the nightmares piece, but you also have a, a part called survivor guilt in the book. I don't know if you're, you're yeah. all right talking through that a bit, but I just feel like in terms of our audience, that would be consultants, equipment manufacturers that may be exposed to you know, regulators, lots, lots of different groups, regulators, insurance, but maybe exposed to somebody who goes through this tragedy and has lived, tell us the story uh, or their family members, um, that this could be an important piece to give some insight about. Again, if you're comfortable sharing. For years later, after this vote, I was always, what, why was it them? It should have been me. And I always had that discussion with my psychologist. And uh, I just, it was hard for me to deal with that. And uh, it's a guilt that I always had, and it was hard to shake, though. But uh, you learn to deal with it. But uh, it's just, especially hours away from it. Oh, it's just, why, why, why did it have to be Larry? Why couldn't it be me? Or, you know, it's it's a guilt that you carry, and uh, yeah. it's hard to shake. Some some people never get to shake it, but uh, I learned to accept it. And then when I learned to accept it, then I learned, told myself that I will do something for those twenty six coworkers that I lost, and not just that though, because. I go back when I was lobbying in Ottawa. I realized I wasn't doing it just for the 26 coal workers. I was lobbying to get a bill passed through for all workers, not just union workers, but all workers in Canada that that bill was going to help everybody. So I kind of, got over the guilt part of it. And I said to myself, I got to do something. And that's what I did. I ended up fighting for something that was a better cause than putting myself down all the time is with the guilt. Appreciate you sharing that. Like I said, everyone's going to experience this differently. And I'm certainly not a, an expert. I've never been through an industrial disaster personally, talked to a number of folks on this podcast and, and, person I've talked to, to a probably factor of 10 more, but everyone's going to process differently. And I do want to just put a, a, a name to that, the survivor guilt, because I think there's a good chance that somebody going through this may even be experiencing that and not have a name for it. So I want to bring mm-hmm. that up. And, and you kind of mentioned a couple of times, like, you know, getting help, getting active, getting involved in things. And it reminded me of a book that somebody gave me when we unfortunately had a, a family member commit suicide during COVID, like you were saying, at the start of COVID. And it was uh, called Option B by Cheryl Sandberg. She talks about post-traumatic stress disorder is a big challenge. If you can get to a place where there is some, I think growth is the word she used, so post-traumatic growth, where you can actually commit yourself to something bigger, to getting up and pushing something, whatever that is that day, that's that's good for you or good for society or good for your family, whatever it's going to be, that that can be tremendously helpful. And I kind of see in your journey as, one of, of moving and, and still the PTSD is always going to be there. It's like, a, I don't know, like, a, like an alcoholic when you're not drinking alcohol anymore, you're, you're still an alcoholic. You still have that, that laden challenge there. But if you can find some way to, to find some post-traumatic growth, something that you can take away from that is a positive in the world. In your case, you, you probably wouldn't have written this book and be lobbying for workers' rights and impacting union and non-union workers had you not went through the experience of Westray. So that's what I mean by post-traumatic growth. Because of Westray, you're putting something good into the world um, that you wouldn't have done otherwise. Uh, anyway, that's a, a book that I had read through and went through a couple of things on my end that spelt out in a way that I hadn't heard before. Yeah. Putting your mind is something else. Like when, when I went to Ottawa for that 
conference that year. And the steel workers, like Steve Hunt with the United Steel Workers and Nancy Hudson that day when they come over to me and asked me if I was a coal miner and next thing. But from that point on, I had a connection with another family, and that was the steel workers family that helped me through that part of not pushing me and not getting me to do something that I didn't want to do. But then I realized that it was something big that I had to do, and and I took part of it. So it's getting to do something with your life. Uh, I'm glad I I did go that route, and uh, and like I said, doing my book. Uh, but there there's so much more. Now, don't get me wrong. There's still some days I have a bad day that I don't even want to live anymore, but. I got to say to myself, no, you can do it. You can go, like I said already a couple of times, when I see somebody dying on a workplace, it bothers me. You can see, you know, what their lifetime is going to be. Like you, you have raw emotional experience that they probably don't even know yet. Like you just said, I, I can just imagine what their families are going to go through for the next few years and uh, longer and up to 30 years. Like we went through, like I, myself and other members here went through the last 30 years. It's rough, but you will get through it. Takes time, but you got to work with it. It is hard. Yeah. I want to kind of circle back to a couple of you know things that you went through because we're going to have other folks on talking about Westray. We have some researchers that are involved, some media people, and then we're hoping to bring on some of the, the families um, other than than Vernon's family that may be an impact as well. And then you know whoever reaches out that hears about this through the, the podcast for. But I do want to kind of circle back to some of these things around the time the explosion that and and then your involvement over that period that are. Uh, maybe outside scope of rehabilitation. It's all rehabilitation, but the two that kind of come to mind are the public inquiry and the even the criminal cases with Westray. Because those took I don't have the numbers here, but you know several years to go through. And how how was that process for you from the outside looking in, or were you even involved? Like, can you share just you know maybe we'll start with the public inquiry, and then I think the criminal cases came after that. Feel free to talk about both or one or the other. Just what was your experience with that? Uh, there's one thing I did do, Chris, after Westray happened. Like I said before, I did not talk much about it. I clamped up. I didn't want to talk about it. But there was the interview with the RCMPs that we had. And I told them as little as possible as I did, as I could. When I went to Westray, the work, I remember signing a paper. Now, this paper stated, you do not talk about Westray outside of Westray. And I guess that stayed with me after the mind blew up, killing 26. And I still didn't want to talk about Westray. And uh, I guess I was still with a company I was uh, threatened because I'm going to go back to where I was working at the mine. And we had a union from Cape Breton trying to get into Westray. And I can remember going in to put my vote in. And when I walked in that room, there was the union from Cape Breton sitting at the table. But then there was Gerald Phillips and Roger Perry sit beside the union. And they stare you down like you were a piece of shit when you walked in. So they knew what you were going to vote. So, but the union didn't end up getting in. But it was months later that the steel workers were trying to get in. But I'm just saying that at that that point that day, I remember I remember that. That just came to my head there about that. I mean, if the union got in at that time, it might have been, it's hard to say, but the steel workers were trying to get in at the, just at the time of the uh, exposure because 
some of the guys that were underground, they did sign the card, what I found out later. I bring it back on track here about the criminal. I, whatever I said, they didn't use in, in the inquiry. I didn't have enough. That, that, that would have been in the criminal case, but the public choir, I was going through surgery when that was all going on. And uh, I always sat down back and listened to everything I could have, if I could for the day to sit in there and listen to it. But the information that I took from that inquiry was big to me because I learned so much about Westrath, how unsafe it was to be there. At the end of the day, when I go home and I think about it and what the hell was I working there for? Hearing what I was hearing, but I didn't know that while I was working there. And it's like, my mother said to me, what the hell were you working there for? <laughs> well, it's easy in, in hindsight to say that. There's lots of reasons why it comes up. If your normal work practice is such that it doesn't seem like a hazard at the time, then it's going to be very challenging psychologically to, to break that. So if I can use a, a, an obvious example, people that listen to Vagas will hear, will hear this all the time. My, my children mm-hmm. are always leaving their toys on the stairs. <laughs> and I'm perpetually picking up these toys, but sometimes I'll forget. And if I do forget, you know, it may go a day or two or three. And, and once you've seen it so many times and nothing bad's happened, a, a process of normalization of risk occurs and you don't even see the toy anymore. And like two weeks pass, you look at the thing like, holy, how is that toy still there? So then you, you move the thing. But that doesn't make me a bad person because I, I didn't realize that that was a hazard at the time. It's just a natural, it goes back to when we were fighting lions in the jungle or whatever, through our evolutionary history, that if something bad doesn't happen, then we lessen the perceived risk of that thing. And over time, it just completely gets blocked from your, your perception. And so what this relates to in terms of educating and hazard awareness, which is where I play a big mm. role in the global community for combustible dust, is even if you had known beforehand, Vernon, even if you went through the training program, there's a good chance you would have been more educated and been able to identify hazards and maybe that would have changed something. But there's also a good chance that it wouldn't um, because we've seen it where there are educational programs and if nothing bad happens time over time, eventually you come so uh, to see it as not a risk that you, you don't even pick it up in your, in your perception. It feels, feels extremely strange to be almost <laughs> lecturing is the wrong word, you, and I'm not doing that in any way. I'm more just saying like it's, it's such a natural phenomenon that that's the real challenge you have to work with. It's the reason why I think it's so important to have these discussions because the other thing comes into play is recency bias. So I can, I can get up and show a presentation of Imperial Sugar, uh, mid-2000s, you know, many lives lost, or even Westray. And it, because it's a couple decades ago, people just won't relate to it. They'll automatically disqualify it as being important in their worldview. But if I talk about the explosion that happened yesterday in Singapore, or the explosion that happened yesterday in um, Prince Edward Island, because it's more recent, it automatically gets more attention as being a hazard. And that's why I'm always trying to keep the conversation novel and what's actually up to date. And we try not to use very, you know, old historical incidents. Because if you see that same incident, if you see Westray presented 25 times and you're working at a coal mine, you never see a coal mine explosion happen, you'll automatically assume mm-hmm. that Westray can't happen at your coal mine. <laughs> That's just the normal process. So there's that, and that was kind of a big tangent. And Vernon did apologize that he sometimes goes on tangents. Well, so do I. <laughs> Before we circle back and proceed, I do want to take one step back to something that you mentioned. The question was around, you know, you're involved in the public inquiry. And you said, well, the RCMP came around, you know, I, I really didn't say much. And I just, I want to bring that up, not because I want to highlight it on your end that you didn't say much, because that totally makes sense. But there are, again, going to be people in the same circumstance going through this that may be listening to this podcast or, you know, somebody supporting them may be listening to this podcast. And it's very, would be very common to, to clamp up in that case. There's so much going on. You don't know if you have a job or don't have a job. You don't know where the money's going to come from. You don't know who's going to sue who. If you were going to be involved in the litigation, you don't know what your legal requirements are. It would be tremendously common to not know what to do in such a circumstance. 
Uh, and the, the reason I want to highlight again is I would really recommend if you're in that circumstance today um, to contact, if you're in the United States and, and hopefully even in Canada, they'll be able to support you. The United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities, Tanya Ford is the, the president there at the moment. You can email me, Chris, at dustsafetyscience.com and I can send you her contact or just Google United Support and Memorial for Workplace Fatalities. Also put a link in the show notes um, to that. All they do is work with families who have have lost loved ones in, in industry accidents. So what they have is resources. Like here's the type of lawyer you might need. Here's the requirements for workers' compensation. And they can at least get you on square one if you're like completely overwhelmed. There's so much going on. They're the experts, if you will, in that they see several thousand times a year that they go through this. What kind of things you might need, you know, list of counselors in your areas or therapists or a psychologist, whatever it's going to be, they have access to those resources. So if somebody's in that today or knows somebody would be in that today, it's listening to this, I would certainly recommend reaching out to them or to Vernon or to myself. And we'll try to get you on track with some some tools that might be able to help you to wade through that. Yeah, that was a big rant on two separate topics, Vernon. <laughs> Anything to add on your side? And, and thank you for indulging me in, uh, in talking about it. No, that's, <laughs> that's all right. That, that's pretty broad. Uh, but the thing is, uh, I, like myself, I, I was disappointed years later when I was writing my book that I did clamp up and I didn't talk much. But as you say, you're you're in a state of you you don't know they're going to you're going to be that red flag that the company doesn't want there. Or it's good that there's help there for it. Yeah. I mean, I was kind of in a spot. I I didn't know where to go, but that's 30 years ago. And things do change over time. So uh, get the help. It's there. Get it. Use it. Use it. Use it. That's uh, that's what I can say to that. And we were going to talk about your kind of efforts with Bill C-45, and which is also called the Westray Bill in Canada. And that's a bill for workers' rights in relation to workplace accidents and holding business owners and operators and managers accountable. I kind of think in terms of this podcast episode, maybe we'll leave that to the readers of the, the book to, to, to go get the book and kind of read through that. But I'd like to, I think in terms of this interview, kind of bring things around to, to wrapping up and getting a step to move forward with this series, is you were not the only miner that was working at Westray and has survived this. You're also, there's at least 26 families out there from my understanding, we're hoping to capture some of those stories, put them into this series and, and potentially into this book on mental health. Any kind of stories or anything you want to share about that audience there that you can share about how the community has been impacted by the tragedy or anything outside of your yourself that you know think might be interesting to the audience to, to learn about Westram? Like we just had our 30th anniversary and it was a big one here in Pictou County uh, with the, uh, the help of the uh, government and steel workers. They, they got together and they put a big anniversary on. Every five years, we have a big anniversary in Pictou County for the Westray. But in between there, we, the families do get together, some of the workers that worked at Westray. And we have the anniversary on May the 9th on the evening. The last few years was pretty hard with the COVID, but it was so successful this year with the big anniversary one. But uh, there is uh, some of the miners that uh, are working and some are not with us today. They have passed on. There's other ones that live away. I talked to some of the family members even at the anniversary that we had this year, I asked them if they would be interesting in telling their story of the last 30 years of the uh, ripple of, of Westry. I got some good response from some of the uh, some of the family members that I talked to. They were interesting in talking, so I'm hoping. They still will when the time comes. There is one lady I was talking to, and uh, I was talking to her for the last years, ever since I told her I was interested in putting a book together. And uh, she worked for the Red Cross. 
she goes through every May the 9th is hard on her for her because she was at the fire hall with the families 30 years ago. And she lives that every year and she carries it, but she still has some of the family members. She met somebody on the 25th anniversary and they couldn't believe it. They were talking and they were going over things, but she's got a lot of information that I'm hoping that uh, she said she's going to talk to it and put her information in the book for us. So there are people like that. There's, uh, and like Chris said, we're hoping with us doing the podcast here that we will have maybe a couple more that would want to come along and tell their story, their their ripple effect with Westray the last 30 years. I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people out there. I, I don't know if we'll have enough paper. Actually, Chris, because once we get going here, we'll have so much paper filled. <laughs> I'm hoping that we will. Well, I've, I've shared this with Vernon um, in the past. Uh, I am a ripple effect of Westray. I mean, it happened about 45 minutes from my house going up. My supervisor in my academic degree was pretty heavily involved in combustible dust at the time in parts around Westray, and, and hopefully we can get him on to talk about his experience with through that. But my guess is that his career was deeply impacted by, by the Westray coal mine explosion happening so so nearby. And my career, if I hadn't have met him, and if he hadn't been involved in combustible dust, I would have not be in combustible dust myself over the last, uh, since, you know, 2011, 2009 kind of time frame. So really, I, I am a ripple effect of it. Yes, it happened near my house, but more importantly, it, it casts a spotlight on combustible dust as an industrial hazard in coal mining. Certainly, we have it across many, many other industries as well. And it out of, out of that, you know, I am a, a ripple effect because of... Westray happening, Canada was really involved in the global effort to reduce coal mine explosions. We talk about rock dust inerting and ventilation sensing equipment, strategies for, you know, response to accidents that happen. These are all things that get studied and investigated at a, at a global level. Big countries that have been involved in this in the past include the United States, U.S. Bureau of Mines, Poland, Norway, uh, China extensively. Uh, and Canada has been a pretty big proponent in that conversation because of Westray. I would know, you know, dozens of researchers and academics, university professors that have been involved in that work. And so, you know, Westray plays, I guess, a, a, a part in the global fabric of combustible dust safety worldwide. I'm a ripple effect of it, and I think the, the effects are far-reaching. Now, we are trying to limit this, <laughs> at least Vernon's book, to the mental health aspects of combustible dust, of Westray rather. Um, but the the overall impact of this, I mean, you can't you can't take twenty six lives and not have a, a tremendous impact. I think they say if, you know the rule of seven or something. You're you're only seven degrees removed mm-hmm. from anybody on the planet. Well, if six twenty six people are you know lose their life, then you know there's whatever that is several thousand first connections and and you know by the time you get up there, yeah. everyone's kind of impacted with it. So the real effects go on. We will try to uncover over the next probably six month period through different interviews try to uncover the interviews, get them put together and, and hopefully be able to support this, this effort. I think to close off on this interview, Vernon, might just be like a, a general question of, you know, what would a, a good result look like in terms of getting the interviews together and, and putting this book together? Like what would be, you know, what do you hope to achieve out of this? I, I have my own perspective of what I'd like to achieve, but my opinion doesn't really matter that much. Um, it's your mission and your. Well, what what I've been trying to achieve, Chris, ever since when the new law came in after myself and the United Steelworkers fought to get the law passed, Bill C-45 into law, that the government would put that in law, and that was the year 2004. I thought we would see companies CEOs or management go to jail for killing workers. But we never seen anybody go to jail. Uh, what they get? I guess you take a life and then the, the judge puts down, well, we'll give the company $50,000 fine. 
I don't know about anybody else, but my life is a hell of a lot worth more than $50,000. If somebody kills me, I hope they go to jail. Well, if I was at a workplace, uh, if you killed a person, a worker, it should be jail time. That's one thing that I, when I fought for the bill C-45, I would see. But years went by. Here we are, 2022. And we just went through a hellish COVID for the last two years, like 20 to 22. We're just getting things back open now. But uh, the biggest thing I like to see of this second book is uh, mental health. There's a big challenge of uh, trying to do something with mental health. I know that from me dealing with PTSD over the years, but uh, I'm willing to try whatever I can to help other people to see the light. You don't have to see the darkness. There is light. I'll try whatever I can, what I can do for this book. And I'm hoping that other people will help. Something that goes together with help. I realize over the years, you cannot do something on your own. It's like the, the West Ray bill. It was a family, the steelworkers family that helped. And I helped them put the bill together. But you, you can't do it by yourself. You, you need a group. And you came along, Chris, to help out this book and others. And I'm hoping we can get a little bit, a lot more help as we can to uh, comp- compensate this book. I don't know if I said that right or not. <laughs> yeah, you got it. It's it's interesting to see the progression from Bill C-45 and working so hard to get the regulation in for for workers' rights and then seeing where that's gone. And we had some discussions with Steve Hunt. I think he's retired now or, or out of this position, but from the United Steel Workers back in episode 170, 171, talking about that, moving towards what the effort is now, which is really the support for the mental health of workers. And a couple of pieces here. So how how to do it? Well, we're, we're recreating the steps. Vernon took over 20 years. We're trying to do it in six months, <laughs> get the notes together, get the manuscript. Vernon does want, and, and myself uh, as well, 100% from my side and however we make it happen, the, the money, if any, that comes from this book to go to support those that are, are impacted by industrial tragedies. There will be a question of once we get the manuscripts together, do we have to hire an editor to clean up for publishing? And we'll have to figure out what those paths and maybe there's a, a way for people to contribute or donate or donate time or resources or, or monetary value to support that effort. We don't even know what the, what the path to do that is right now. <laughs> so when that comes available, well, if you're interested, you can email me, chris at dustsafetyscience.com, email Vernon, and and let us know you're interested. And then once we figure out what even the steps might that are involved to do such a thing, then we can kind of take it from there. But the the mission that I understand it is to get the story together, get the perspectives together, share the ripple effects of Westray so that people that read it understand that there are people that have been gone through this before and then also support them in their journey, I guess, from darkness to light, because that's the, the metaphor that keeps kind of coming up. And any way that we can do that, you know, set this process up to be able to support that is, is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Well, I think Vernon with that, um, maybe we'll close out this third episode in this series. I'm sure we will have you back on the podcast to talk about your, your experience otherwise. And at the moment we're trying to collect up these next interviews to, to talk through Westray, to get these ripple effects and these stories shared out there. I, I've said it a, a number of times throughout both podcast episodes, but thank you for the work that you do, the, the medal of bravery. And I, I had in my other, my other note there was, you know, for acts of bravery and hazardous circumstances. I agree that your involvement with Westray was a, an act of bravery in hazardous circumstances. But I think your involvement with writing the first book and now your involvement with trying to get this second book together and support others that are going through the same things are also an act of bravery and also in hazardous circumstances, given how challenging it is to really just to go through this, even in the current global environment, like you said, with COVID and shutdowns and all that sort of stuff. So thank you again. I appreciate everything you've done. Can I just throw in one more thing there, Steve? Please. Yes, Vernon. Or Chris. I don't know why I keep calling you Steve. <laughs> you got me mixed up with Steve Hunt. That's okay. He's he's big shoes to fill anyway. Yeah. So I don't mind. 
been so many times I was always talking to Steve over the years. But no, Chris, um, the, the biggest thing that I have to do on this, uh, what really I really want to push even more on this book is it's a year ago this month that I went in to get a kidney stone removed. I went in surgery at two o'clock after coming out of that. It's not my first time going in for a kidney stone removed, but the times I went in, I always talked to the nurses and the doctor afterwards. Well, this time I did not talk to anybody because I don't remember. I was in the hospital that night. I went home Friday. My daughter picked me up at the VG in Halifax. I came home Friday night. Saturday afternoon, my daughter said to me, Dad, you don't look too good. I'm going to call 911. She, uh, she called 911. They came. They took me into the hospital over here in the Glasgow. While in there, the doctor said to, said to me, you got to thank your daughter and your family for making you come in. And I said, why is that? And she said, you're gone septic. I went septic. I ended up being in the ICU for the next 12 days. She said, you could have died in the next three to four hours. So I guess uh, the, the hospital in the next 12 days, they pulled it off. They made me walk out of the hospital, go home, but I beat septic. So there's a lot of things I beat in life, but that was another goal to keep going. And I guess the big fella upstairs there, he said to me, you're not done with what you got to do in life. So carry on so that's one other big yeah. reason why i want to go with this too chris well i appreciate it vernon i'm looking forward to see where this goes as well it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart it's something that is i i deal in industrial safety i deal in you know regulations and standards and equipment and legislation and training and educating of researchers and, and all these things on one side of the equation the thing that's not dealt with near enough is the other side of the equation. People that are impacted, mental health challenges. So if supporting your mission here and try and do what we can to support that as well can start to help that other side of the equation. That's really in my mm -hmm. mind has been missing for so long, then, then I'm all for it. So, so thank you for instigating um, and thank you for continuing on with your mission. We're, we're here to support it. Thank you. Okay, well, I think we'll close off this week's podcast episode. Again, you'll probably hear from Vernon at some point while I'm back on the podcast and we will carry on. We don't know when the next interviews will be scheduled for this series, but you'll see them like in series where we've done in the past. They'll come up where we, we sort of revisit this series between our other episodes. So thank you again, Vernon. Look for a chance to get to talk to you again soon. Yeah, and thank you everybody and uh, listening and uh, hope to be talking again soon and uh, with after a few others. Thank you. I'm sure he will. Thanks, Vernon. So even this is myself, Dr. Chris Cloney in Vernon Terrio. We've been talking about really the ripple effects of Westray. This is the third episode in this sort of mini-series talking about Westray, talking about what happened, talking about the impact on the community, the impact on Vernon and his life, going through the experiences between, you know, the what, the when, the how of Westray, the statistics and, you know, specific aspects and experience went on there. Then also after the explosion, the impact on Vernon's life, the impact on the community, the impact on those that suffer loss from industrial disasters, trying to uncover the, the many, many, many different layers here. This all feeds back into this project that is really instigated this series, which is this ripple effects of Westray and trying to get these stories put together. There's really three goals here. You know, we want to identify and share more of what's actually happening in terms of the impact of these type of disasters so that as a community we can work together to prevent them. If you are working with or close to or know someone who has suffered from industrial accidents, hopefully provides this, this provides some insight into the challenges that they may be going through or may be going through in the, the future. If you're listening to this for the first time because you're interested in Westray and uh, your involvement there, thank you for listening. And the, the other kind of big thing we're looking to do is just to promote this, this important work, this ripple effects of Westray process and, and see like how we can put that into a, a process to support those with uh, mental health challenges after industrial accidents. 
Uh, in this episode, we talked through the extensive rehabilitation process with Vernon, covered a lot of challenging topics. We covered challenging topics that, you know, I've personally gone through, not with industrial accidents, but with um, family members and such, and how, you know, everyone's response to trauma is going to be different. Everyone's response to trauma is going to be unique, and everyone's response to trauma is probably feel inappropriate to them, <laughs> incorrect to them or something. And the, the big note, and it's almost cliche to say, but is that that's completely normal. And that's going to be a challenge. And there's many different ways challenge can manifest. And Vernon shared everything from, you know, suicidal ideation, suicidal thoughts through to nightmares and survival guilt and challenges with sleeping and uh, many other aspects that come out of that. And we sort of identified a couple of things that might help. Again, we are not suited to be giving advice in this podcast. There's no way in advice, but it's more that hopefully give some insight into the, the mindset, mind frame, some things that might actually help to move the needle on improving and rehabilitating after something like this happens. We talked through some of Vernon's involvement uh, immediately after the Westray coal mine explosion. I would encourage anyone that's interested in this to go get the book. It's Westray, My Journey from Darkness to Light by Vernon Terrio and Marjorie Cody. And you can get it on Amazon. You can go to Nimbus Publishing. That's at nimbus.ca. You can just email myself, chris at dustsafetyscience.com. We'll have uh, Vernon's email as well at dustsafetyscience.com slash 203 for this podcast episode. If you'd like to contribute in any way, if you were involved, have a story about Westray, certainly email me and reach out. If you have a story that's outside of Westray but is involved with you know, mental health challenges with industrial accidents, industrial incidents, industrial disasters, certainly reach out as well and we'll see you know, maybe there's multiple books that need to come out of this. And I, I know the answer is that there is. It's just a matter of how do we best get this message out to the world. So certainly reach out and we'll figure out how to, how to keep moving along the tracks with that. I do want to sincerely say thank you to Vernon again for his efforts with Bill C45. And then his renewed efforts here looking at, okay, how do we, how do we go beyond legal and, you know, standards and, and legislation, which is still an effort worth fighting and still one that's going on today. But, um, if we only focus on that, then we're leaving the workers, the people that are directly impacted behind. So that's really this, this project is okay. How do we, how we start to address that? As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I appreciate everything you're doing. The industry's handling combustible dust, keeping them safer with the work that you do every day. Keep it up out there. We, we really appreciate what you're doing. 